Sales Tuners, Episode 20, Steve Cunningham, CEO at Read It For Me. I'm just not interested in what other people are doing around me in terms of them winning or losing. I have no desire to see somebody else lose. I just want to win. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Winston Churchill, who said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Joining me today is Steve Cunningham, CEO of Read It For Me. Before founding a company, he played NCAA hockey, where he learned the valuable lesson of not mistaking activity for productivity. Today, Steve reads one business book every single day, then summarizes what he learned and shares it with his members. Make sure you listen in for the special offer he makes exclusively for Sales Sooners Nation. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octa for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com slash 20. But now let's get to the conversation where Steve talks about his career as a lawyer and how it lasted just one week. I went to law school. It's a long story, but I went to law school. I realized between my by second and third year after getting a job at a law firm for a summer that I didn't want to be a lawyer for the rest of my life. That that sounded like a horrible deal to me. And I and I made a deal with my my father. He really really wanted me to become a lawyer. Um, so I made a deal that if I finish up, got called to the bar that uh, we would you know shake hands and be happy um, and move on. So I um, I finished up. The law firm asked me to stick around. They offered me a job. I said, I can't take it. They said, well, can you stick around for one week and finish up that this one file you're working on? So I said, sure. Sounds like the right thing to do, and I'll have a good story to tell for the rest of my life. So that's how I became a lawyer for one week. Indeed, indeed. That's, that's an expensive mistake, though. I don't know. Well, it's, it's interesting because we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into this now, but you know, that's, you know, law school is where I learned how to read so quickly, pull out uh-huh. the main points uh, out of, you know, 300 page cases. So I think the training, you know, at the time is probably seemed like a waste of money, but it, it turned into uh, what we're doing today. So I think it was, you know, a fortuitous, expensive mistake anyways. Very interesting. I like that, Steve. So, uh, you know, we're going to go all over the place today, but I, I want to start where you are today. Uh, talk to me about Read It For Me. What is it? How does someone d- decide to buy from you today? Sure. So what we do is we take you know best-selling business and personal development books. We summarize them into 12-minute text, audio, and video files, animated videos. And uh, what we like to say is that we help make the in-between moments in your day the most productive parts. 
of your day. And we've got customers uh, ranging from solo entrepreneurs all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. Um, and how people buy from us today is a couple of ways. First, they find out about us online and we have a very strong and passionate you know, referral a community that that brings us new business. Uh, we partner up with a lot of different uh, companies and organizations to bring us new customers, and they buy from us online. So a lot of our customers we never uh, see, we have no idea um, who they are, and they, you know, through the the great. Uh, state of the internet we're able to do business without without ever meeting people one-on-one -on -one. they also buy from us one-on-one -on -one if we're talking about corporations purchasing from us um that typically takes uh, a couple of meetings uh, typically over uh, go to meeting and um we do some negotiation and then um we're off to the races so uh you know we kind of have two uh, different markets one is the you know the b2c market where we're closing consumers for individual accounts and the the b2b market where we're uh, turning, you know, consumer uh, customers into corporate customers. Got it. And so I definitely want to build up to this. I want to get to the point where you started reading a book a day. And like you said, through, through your law school, but how did you even get into sales? Take, you know, how did you transition, I guess, out of that lawyer for a week and get into the sales world? So I joined uh, joined the family business, which at the time was a signage business. So uh, I joined the business. I got thrown into the deep end. I was made president at a very young age, and uh, I basically what I what I did because I had no business background is I started to read books to try to you know fill the gaps in my knowledge. Um, and that turned into, you know, a voracious reading habit, just like I had in law school. And, and that's how I came to read a book a day. Uh, it was out of necessity to try to learn as quickly as I could when I first joined the business. I decided that while I was in that business, I didn't really want to be in the signage business for the rest of my life because that didn't excite me. Um, you know, starting to see a pattern, things not exciting me. And then I uh, decided that we were going to start a marketing agency inside of that uh, inside of that company. So I did, and I started to get a lot of meetings with people around uh, six or seven years ago when social media for business started to become a big thing. Uh, this was back when nobody had really figured out if they want to do it, uh, whether or not you know this Facebook thing was going to be a big deal. And so because I was young enough, um, but old enough to uh, to look like I might know what I was talking about, I got a lot of meetings. And while I was in these meetings, uh, one, a couple of things became clear to me. The first one is that nobody wanted to be the first one to sign a check for social media consulting. Um, so I was essentially offering up free consulting, which, as we know, as salespeople is a no-no for the most part. Um, the second thing I noticed was they always had uh, a collection of books on their, their desk or their shelf that I had read. And so wanting to create rapport with them, I would say, hey, what did you think about this idea from Good to Great or that idea from whatever other books they had on their shelf? Because I had invariably had read them. And what I learned was that most people don't read the books that they get. They're either given to them uh, by their boss or a friend, and they have all the best intentions to read them, but they haven't. They don't read them. So what we did was we said, okay, if you're going to not cut us a check and no one's going to cut us a check, we need to create a case study for how 
we can show you, you know, step by step how somebody has grown their business through social media. So uh, this, we essentially started uh, a content marketing strategy before anybody called it content marketing. And we said, we're going to turn those books into 12 minute videos. And the hope is that uh, if we send it to you, you'll subscribe and you'll, you'll pass it on to your friends. Essentially what most people today would consider a content marketing strategy. Uh, we did that. I think the first book we did was Jack Welsh's Winning. We sent it out to 10 people as an experiment. They sent it to 20, sent it to 100, sent it to 1,000. And then all of a sudden, um, we started getting calls from venture capitalists asking what our business model was. I said, uh, we don't have a business model, uh, which, by the way, is a fantastic response if you want to stop getting calls from venture capitalists. <laughs> nice. And, um, and we started getting calls from people who were subscribed saying, how do we pay you? Because we want you to continue to do this. And so slowly but surely, we realized that, hey, there, you know, there might be a business here. So we put up a, a PayPal wall. And uh, people started paying us. And so all of a sudden, we were in this other business, uh, you know, way different than our other business, which was selling professional services to this uh, brand new world of, you know, I guess if you had to classify us, we would be an e-learning company. So um, I kind of fell into sales you know, to make a long story even longer by by accident. Um, joining the family business, had to sell what we were doing there accidentally created Rita for me and had to start to figure out how do we sell this, uh, not only to individuals, but to, to co companies as well. So, uh, completely by accident. I, that's just fascinating to me. <laughs> um, uh, so many places I want to go with that, but, uh, I, I guess let's start here, right? So, um, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. You've already given me the biggest behavior that you have. It's just that you were reading a book every single day and, and you did it out of necessity to learn the business world, right? But then you, you kind of uh, stumbled into, um, a business around it, put up the paywall, people start paying you, but, uh, you know, things weren't always, you know, swimming, uh, going swimmingly. So what were some of those early struggles uh, out of the gate? You know, you said you had to figure out how to sell it to, to businesses. What, what were some of those challenges that, that uh, you had? Oh, there's just, there's so many challenges. Um, you know, we've been going for, like I said, about, uh, about six years now. And we've only recently, um, what I would consider to be cracking the code uh, on how to how to sell sell easily um, and be successful at it. So, you know, we've had so many failures along the way. I think one one thing that stands out in my mind is we would always try to bundle in bonuses with what <clears throat> we were selling to try to make our product look more appealing. And, um, which I, I don't think, uh, on its own is a mistake, but we would start to think about, okay, well, what's the hottest thing right now? You know, and sometimes it was, you know, digital marketing and, um, whatever trends were going on. And we, so we would try to package up these, uh, you know, many products I would call them as bonuses for our product. Um, but the bonuses were completely unrelated to, to our product. Uh, and those were just a huge flop. And I, I, you know, I would consider there to be uh, good failures and bad failures. You know, a, a good failure is when you're sticking with your your core product, your core mission, and you're experimenting around that. And you know, you learn from that. You learn f why people are saying no. You uncover, you know, maybe you didn't get the pain points correct. Um, but if you start to bundle in other things that in hindsight or a distraction from your product, you don't really learn anything at all. So I think the, you know, probably one of the biggest failures in what 
you know, maybe caused us taking so long to get to a point where we we understood exactly what our customers were looking for was being distracted by uh, shiny objects and trying to figure out ways to incorporate it into our product when there was zero chance that it was ever relevant to what we were doing. What, what were some of those things uh, that you're trying to bundle in? What were those distractions? You know, I like, you know, how, how do we, how we use email marketing to, to, create business, you know, basically taking some of the things that we were doing and having some success with and trying to turn it into a product. Um, but if you think about what our product is, it's really, it is about learning. It is about doing all those great things that people want to achieve. Like there's a reason why people want to read the books. There's a reason why they want to learn the concepts inside of them. But the, the core to what we do is we're helping people save time. And by creating these other things that, you know, were hours long, uh, we were not helping people save time at all. So it was a, it, just a complete disconnect from the value that we were trying to bring to our customers. Interesting. Interesting. So, Steve, as, as, you know, as I look back at this, I, I kind of say, you know, I first of all, I love Read It For Me. I'm a customer and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But um, in the in the early days, I would have to say if you're selling into businesses, you know, this is a nice to have. It's, it's definitely not a need to have. Is that accurate? Or, or I guess even more so, um, why were people telling you no? Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. You know, one of the things that <clears throat> we found out very quickly was, you know, having a something that has a small price tag attached to it, which Read It For Me does, uh, you know, relative to other things that companies are spending money on, it becomes something that is not important enough for them to look at. So, you know, there's two ways to to solve that problem. And one way is to make your product something that's so integral to what people are doing that they have to pay attention to it. And then, of course, you can raise the price point accordingly or go the other way, which is make make the purchase decision just a no-brainer. So, And even though it's not something that is integral to what they do, that they can say yes. And so for the longest time, we focused on the first one, which was trying to, you know, trying to describe what we do as a need to have when in fact it was never going to be a need to have it's always a nice to have so we've had we've had to deal with that um, and it, you know a little bit of an ego shock to you know come to the conclusion that your product is a is a nice to have um, but i think it's it, it once we came to that realization the experimentation we were doing headed down a completely different path which uh, has led us to some great success and so when you were selling to, uh, you know, the business to business, it, it, so you're right, it's a very inexpensive product for the consumer. But when you're talking about you know, maybe a hundred or a thousand subscriptions, though, for a business, that's not necessarily cheap. So how did you start to sell those uh, packages? Well, of course, we offer, you know, significant discounts for, uh, for seats of that magnitude. So we, even even though we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, um, we're still talking about a fraction of a percent of somebody's budget. So whatever we were doing with that company, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. It, it became big enough that somebody had to approve it, uh, but not big enough that it ever became important. So we were kind of stuck in this quandary. And you know, to compound that, we did have some success. Uh, we did have some customers in Fortune 500 companies. So I think in hindsight, it almost would have been easier if everybody had just said no. 
and then we would have had to move on to something else. But because we had a little bit of success, um, we maybe stuck with uh, the path a lot longer than maybe we should have. Um, so, you know, eventually... Uh, to get people to say yes, we we figured out ways for them to think about our product in a different way. So originally, the sales pitch was, you know, this this is all about mastering these topics. Your you know your salespeople are going to read fifty two sales books in a year, you know, quote unquote read. Sure. Um, and it's going to be great for you. Um, and what we learned over a long period of time was that 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 message didn't really ring true with with our audience um and so when we switch to this is a nice to have so rather than saying uh and i'm trying to unpack this you know when when you're trying to pitch something in that way it needs to fit in with their strategic direction um there needs to be meetings with other people from other places in the company uh, and it becomes a long arduous sales process um but when we switch switch gears to it's nice to have and you know instead of thinking of this as an investment in your employees and everybody at the company or on your sales team should use it we switch to this is this is something that you know a percentage of your people are going to use and the people who do use it are going to absolutely love it so let's not sell let's not buy this for every single one of your salespeople. Let's buy it for the ones that really want it. And so we took some friction out of the process in the sales uh, funnel by saying, okay, first we're going to give you a free trial for everybody on your sales team. And the ones that use it and like it at the end of that first trial, those are the ones that you're going to buy it for. So uh, it became a lot easier for people to wrap their heads around it when we finally realized that this is a nice to have. Not everybody is going to use it and let's sell it that way. Uh, Because, you know, on the other end of things, we're always trying to figure out how do we get 100% of people to use this at an organization and the reality is that we are never going to get there and the easier way would be to say okay let's live with the fact that 30 percent of your sales team is going to love this and use it and let's sell it like that so uh, steve how how are you opening up those new opportunities how are you uh, reaching out to the corporations uh, and, and getting in so there's a there's a few different ways that we do it first we on our website we offer a trial uh, a free seven-day trial <clears throat> and people log in or sign up for that uh, by using their LinkedIn account. So this became a great way for us. And I don't, I have not seen uh, many or anybody actually using it, uh, LinkedIn in this way. I know there's different, um, if you go to different websites, you'll see trials with, you know, sign up with Facebook or Twitter. Some of them do use LinkedIn, but we use it solely uh, for our purposes. And what that allows us to do is to collect basically all the information for us to know, is this a company large enough for us to follow up with manually? Um, so we get the company size, we get their title, we get, you know, the location, we get all of the, you know, the the title of the person who's signed up so that we understand, is this a company that we want to follow up with? So um, when we log into our back end, we see, you know, Joe Smith from Coca-Cola is a VP of marketing and signed up. So that's somebody we want to reach out to. So uh, we follow up with them uh, and then basically try to, you know, following the principles of uh, predictable revenue. If you're familiar with that, we kind of follow those principles once people come in our front door um, and we know who they are and then follow up from there. 
Got it. And so you, you just mentioned, you know, the CMO earlier, you're talking about salespeople. Is that who you're selling to? Is it that VP of marketing CMO type person or, or who is your audience inside the organization? Yeah, that's a good point. So originally our audience, what we thought our audience was, was the HR function or the learning and development people. Uh, when there's a, when a company's large enough, they'll have a learning and development department. Um, so we originally were selling directly to them. And that's when we found out that, you know, this, you know, they're making a decision thinking, you know, about everybody in the company, which is a really hard decision for them to make. When we go to those functional leaders, like the VPs of marketing, you know, the VPs of sales, it becomes a lot easier because they can make decisions autonomously um, if we pitch this in a way that does not make it a mandatory thing for their employees. So yeah, so now we're looking at functional leaders as opposed to HR and learning and development. And what we found to be more successful is if we start with those functional leaders that we can eventually get back to the HR function and have a really compelling story to tell once we've got uh, a bunch of traction inside the organization. So that that strategy has changed over time too. Gotcha. Now I, I noticed uh, Tony Shea uh, from Zappos is on your website. How did mm. that come about? How'd you How'd you get there? That was a That was a fun story. So, essentially, I I got up the nerve to write him an email. It was a cold email. That's how we got that account. So, I uh, read his book, Delivering Happiness. Um, I loved his story. I loved the company. Um, I'm sure most people know what uh, who Zappos are. Um, <clears throat> so I just I I broke every this maybe this is something interesting to talk about. Everything that I've ever done in this business that has led to success has broken every single rule that people told me you should do. Hmm. So I wrote Tony Shea, which I I think the email must have been two thousand words long. Wow. Um, and it was, and I spent hours on it. Um, obviously you can't do this for everybody, but it, you know, it, it's allowed us to put Tony on our website and you know, we've got a lot of mileage out of this. So, um, I emailed them and I said, I, our companies are very aligned. Here's all your core values. Here's how our core values align with what you're doing and how our product aligns with it. And I'd love to chat. So, um, and I have no idea if he read all of it, uh, but he replied and said, yeah, let's have a chat. And we, we chatted. He set me up with his HR people, um, went down, visited their headquarters, got the tour, met all the people and closed their account. And I think, you know, um, that's just one example of breaking all the rules that leads to some success. So, um, you know, and and that was one of those early successes that led us down the path of okay, we gotta we gotta sell to the HR people, which may have led us down the wrong path, but um, it, that that's how we got Zappos as a client. What's funny to me, Steve, there is just the um, uh, dichotomy of, of what you just talked about. So you just talked about predictable revenue, right? Uh, and and then you talk about a two thousand uh, word email that you sent to Tony, where predictable revenue is like, hey, you got to send a BlackBerry email, meaning the entire email has to be able to be seen on that screen. So that's awesome. You know, breaking the rules has just led you uh, to uh, maybe one of your most um, uh, famous names to be able to promote. Yeah, and I think the those principles, you know, I you know that maybe the underlying principle there is that you should always question things. Yeah, and sometimes maybe it's good to be naive about things. Like I did that because I just didn't know any better um, at the time. So I think that whatever advice you're getting, and I, I I read a book a day, so I get a ton of advice. Sure. Um, 
you know, run it, run it through your own set of assumptions and your knowledge and then test some things because often back to that LinkedIn, um, example. So we, we use this exclusively on our website for people to sign up for trials. You cannot sign up for a trial using your email address, which most people would tell you that's, that's suicide for your business. Um, and you know, we get an occasional email saying, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't have a LinkedIn account. And we say too bad. Uh, if you want us our stuff for free, you will use a LinkedIn account. So sign up for one in a nicer way, of course. And the, um, the results have been, we've actually increased our conversion rate and nobody would have thought to test that. Um, because most people would tell you that there's no way that that's going to increase your conversion rate. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, we're uncovering a couple of things that have led us to where we are today. And you know, one of them is relentless experimentation, but another one is a willingness to break the rules. Well, I mean, continuing on that that theme, right, of, of experimentation, you've also now started to uh, give away, uh, read it for me, to to not-for-profits. What, what's that about? How'd, that, how'd you get to that point? So we've often had nonprofit uh, customers as individuals. So um, we've had, and we see who, because we're using LinkedIn, we, we see where these people are working. And as we've tried to sell this to charities, even at a, you know, a significant discount, what we find is that either A, they don't have the budget for it, or B, um, even if they had the budget for it, they couldn't spend it on it because um, just the overhead overheads and charities is a huge deal and it gets very heavily scrutinized. So we realized that we were never going to be able to sell to charities profitably. So what we decided was, you know, instead of just accepting this as a negative, let's figure out a way to turn it into a positive. So we we decided to give away our service to charities across the world for free. Anybody who works at a charity, you can register your your charity with our service, and that gives you and everybody else at your workplace free access. And, and also, in return, we created a program where we go to the the charity and we say, "Listen, if you will introduce us to your board members, the people who you're who are connected with your organization, and we sell read it for me to them, we will give you back a percentage, a significant percentage of the revenue." And so, what that is allowing us to do now. It was kind of, and this became out. Of, this came out of an experiment as well. Maybe would it be helpful if I gave you a concrete example? Yeah, go for it. So one of our customers, uh, it has for a long. It's a company in Toronto, uh, and and the CEO of the company has been a customer for quite some time without me knowing about it. And once I realized who he was, I looked him up, found his LinkedIn profile, and then uh, realized that he was connected to a couple of charities. So I reached out to him and I said, "Hey." If you do a corporate deal with us and you love our product, I think your employees will too, we will give a percentage of the revenue back to this charity that you support. And that charity happened to be Junior Achievement. Um, and um, we did the deal. And this is, this is you know, quite often what I'll do is I'll just do these things as an experiment to see how it would go. Um, he introduced me to the CEO of the of Junior Achievement here in, in Toronto. Uh, we met. I outlined the program to her. I said, if you introduce us to your board members, blah, 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 revenue back to you. 
So what's happened in the meantime is they are actually pulling together like an event for us to go and sell to their board members, all of which happen to be very senior people at very large companies. Um, so the response to this has just been amazing. They're so grateful for getting our service for free for their employees. And they're also very, very grateful for the opportunity to generate some additional revenue stream. And we thought, you know, if we're doing this with our partners, our affiliate partners, our referral partners, why would we not do it with the charity? So it just was a, you know, a bunch of assumptions that we had to get ourselves over. You know, A, like, why are we giving away our product for free? Well, our product doesn't cost very much um, uh, as, a, you know, as a cost of goods for us. So obviously you can't do this if you've got significant cost of goods attached to your product. Um, but there's no reason for us not to do this after you start knocking down the, the assumptions that you previously held. So uh, that's, been a, that's been a great way for us to get in front of senior decision makers very quickly, very easily to sell our product um, and to come with a pre-endorsement of the charity saying, if you like this, I think you should buy it because it's going to benefit us. So um, that, you know, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that coming in the next, you know, three, four five years where companies figure out how to partner profitably with, with charitable organizations beyond what we see today, which is just slapping a logo on something and, um, you know, trying to create some goodwill that way. I think we're going to see a lot of true partnerships. And I, if you're listening to this, I think it's a, it's a huge white space right now. I, I honestly can't believe how easy it is to get these meetings, um, through this method. That's fascinating. Uh, I, I'm serious. I'm sitting here racking my brain about all the different ways um, to do that. So I love how you outlined the white space there. Steve, If when you sit back and think about it, right, like what has led you to where you are? What has led to your success in your opinion? I think, I think the things that we've been talking about, uh, relentless experimentation, um, and then never giving up and never getting discouraged enough that I'm going to give up. And I think there's a, one of the books I read, it's called Grit. Um, it's a fantastic look at the most successful people essentially just never give up. And um, that, that I think has been uh, my saving grace is that I'm just not willing to give up even when everything is telling me that I should. And um, I think that has eventually led us to a few of the experiments that we've been running that have been successful, uh, one of them being that lifetime membership um, that I think I think we spoke about already, but maybe not. And then uh, this charity aspect as well. So uh, experimentation and, and grit. Got it. So no, we have not yet talked about it, but I do want to go ahead and get to that now. So you've got an offer uh, that you're going to throw out there to all the sales sooners listening today. What What's that for, for read it for me? So we have a, an offer right now that we're we're providing only to our partners, and uh, that offer is a two hundred and fifty dollars lifetime membership to our service. And um, our annual rate is usually two hundred and ninety nine dollars. So this is less than one year, and we're selling this lifetime membership on our directly on our website for fourteen hundred and ninety nine dollars. So essentially fifteen hundred dollars. So it's a great deal if you think this is something that you want to to move forward with and you think it's something you're going to use for more than a couple of months, this is uh, this is your time to get in. 
Um, in addition, as a bonus, we're giving away 10 free annual memberships that you can give away to your, whether it's your clients, whether it's your employees, uh, people in your family. We've got people giving these away to uh, everybody in their network uh, and they love it. So this is a great way for you to help somebody start off in 2017 uh, on, a, on an up note and to bring some lifelong learning into their life and also do that for yourself. That's so awesome. And, and again, Steve, I've, I'm a customer. It's how we got connected. I found you. Love the service. Been a subscriber for, I think, three months now. I think that's right. Um, but absolutely love it. So um, where can people go, Steve, to get that uh, offer that you just talked about, that $250, uh, which is less than, like you said, an annual membership. They can get a lifetime membership. Where do they? Where can they go to get that? www.readit4.me. That's readit4.me forward slash ask jb got it got it that's so awesome and uh sales centers, just so you know i also am going to start giving away one of these uh every single month to someone on the uh so one of our listeners uh, that's on the email list so make sure that you are uh, on that email list steve we're going to take a quick break and we come back it's going to be time for the money round so you don't go away and sales sooners don't you go away either we'll be right back Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. back and it's time for the money round. Steve, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Let's have it. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I think it's the what we talked about earlier. I think it's grit. Got it. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Learning as much about human behavior and psychology as I possibly could. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. And why is that? I, I'm just not interested in what other people are, are doing around me I, in terms of them winning or losing. Um, I, I have no desire to see somebody else lose. I just want to win. I love it. So before I ask you this next question, I got to ask, how many books do you think you've read? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. <laughs> Surprisingly, no one has ever asked me that before. I'm going to say, I don't know, 1,500? Wow. Wow. So out of those 1,500, what's one book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? This is – so there's a there's so many answers to this, but I'm going to give you one, the one that's on the top of my head today. There's a book called Instant Influence. Um, and in the book, they give you this method for – Uncovering motivation, and I'm using this one because I think it's super applicable to salespeople. Um, the old way of doing motivation would be to ask somebody like, "Why are you? Why, why do you want to change? Or why do you want to do this or that? Why do you want to buy my product?" And then you, you know, on a scale of one to ten, give me a one to ten how ready you are to move ahead. And so people would give you a number. 
And then usually the next question is, well, how do we get, how do we get from a six to an eight or an eight to a 10? Like, how do we get that number going up? And what this author has shown, I don't have time to explain the whole story, but he's able to essentially, he created this method that turned uh, alcoholics that show up in emergency rooms into non-alcoholics in less than seven minutes. And the one thing that was super um, effective in doing that is after you ask that question, how ready are you to move forward from one to 10? You ask, why didn't you pick a lower number? And the psychology around that is you are getting people to articulate their motivation for doing something, even if it is low today. And being able to understand that as a salesperson, as somebody who wants to get their kids to go to bed on time, uh, no matter what you want to accomplish in your life is such a huge deal. And it's completely transformed the way I think about um, motivating people to do things. So you always want to get the person to articulate whatever motivation they have, because then you can use that to get them across the goal line. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that book summary is available on Read It For Me, correct? It absolutely is. Good deal. Well, in that case, sales sooners, if you would like to check out Steve's recommendation of instant influence, go to readitfor.me slash askjb, sign up for a free trial. You're going to get another offer behind that, but you can check out uh, that recommendation of instant influence uh, and it'll be right there. Steve, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Keep grinding until you win. There we go. And I'm gonna get you out of here on this one. But how could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to uh, after the show today? You can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, Steve Cunningham. And if you want to check out our product, you can go to www.readit4.me. I love it. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. That was awesome. I still can't imagine being able to read, let alone comprehend, one business book every day. Thankfully, Steve does it for me and offered to do it for you as well. Make sure you take him up on that lifetime offer of Read It For Me for only $250. Typically, that's going to set you back almost $1,500. But today, you can go to readitfor.me slash askjb. That's readitfor.me slash askjb. All right, let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, learn by reading. If knowledge is power, books are the proverbial light switch. Professional development in sales begins deep within the pages of carefully penned thoughts and ideas of those who've gone before you. Respecting the insights for those who have been there in your shoes is one of the most valuable investments you can make in yourself. Number two, learn by failing. This should be the mantra in any and every college course for future sales professionals, because guess what? In sales, you will fail. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Understanding that out of the gate is not only proactive psychological move, but it's one that will help you put it all into perspective. Nothing is worthless. Nothing is a true failure if something can be learned from it. Number three, learn by doing. Sometimes it's true what the great and powerful they say about best laid plans. They often go awry, and it's how you handle the change in course that makes all the difference. When in doubt, just give it a try. Don't be afraid. You might be surprised by the positive results that come from it. Number four, learn by breaking the rules. In the day and age of social media marketing, content planning, sales quotas, and all the things, just stop. Do something unconventional. Try something new. Push the limits and challenge the boundaries. You may end up accidentally stumbling across an exciting new path that you didn't even know was waiting for you all along. That's it. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.SalesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.